For our scripture reading this morning, we turn in the Word of God to Psalms 127 and 128. Psalms 127 and 128. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. We read the word of God that far this morning. The text for the sermon is the first two verses of Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be difficult for us to overemphasize the importance of the Christian home and family. Home and family is the most basic unit of society. Out of it arises the church, the school, really the nation as a whole. And because of the significance of the home and family, it's no surprise that this is the special object of the devil's assault. The devil is hard at work seeking to undermine and destroy marriages, homes, and families. The devil's hard at work attacking marriage as an institution with the promotion of such things as adultery or Spousal abuse. Devil is hard at work seeking to destroy the children of the home by the promotion of abortion or the mentality that children are such a pain and a nuisance that in the end no one wants to have any. Devil's hard at work seeking to destroy the character of the home with the flood of 
ungodly entertainment and the filth that may come through social media or directing the focus of the home to this world's pleasure and money and the pursuit of things. And this isn't the case merely out there in the homes and families of the world. These are pressures that the Christian home and family faces. And that ought not to be a surprise to us. We're not immune from the influences and the pressures of the world around us. And it's a sad thing when the marriages and the families of confessing Christians show themselves to be spiritually weak and conformed to this world. Because of the importance of the marriage institution, the home, the family, because of all of the assaults of the devil upon this, it's good for us to be reminded and encouraged again to have as a conscious focus the building up and the protection of the Christian character of our family. Word of God gives us instruction regarding the home and the family here in Psalm 127 in the companion Psalm 128. We're familiar with especially the second half of Psalm 127. Familiar with the language of children being a heritage of the Lord. The man being happy who has his quiver full of them. We think of those words when God gives another child into our family or extended family or into our church as a whole. But the focus of the sermon this morning is on the first half of Psalm 127. Because there, God sets forth a basic fundamental principle regarding Christian marriages, marriages homes, and families. It's a basic principle that rids us of our pride with respect to our homes. It's a principle that delivers us from worry and despair about our homes and our families. And it's a principle that encourages us to continue in the hard work building up our Christian homes and families. And that basic fundamental truth regarding marriage, home, and the family is this. Jehovah builds the home. Let's consider the truth of this Word of God this morning under the theme, Except the Lord build the house. First of all, let's consider the building. Secondly, the need, what the great need we have is. And then thirdly, the rest. Focus of Psalm 127 is on the Christian character of home and family. Let's plain from the text itself. The text is using what appears at first to be an illustration drawn from earthly life at that time. Verses 1 and 2 talk about someone who's constructing a house. And that finished home belongs to a collection of homes in a city that's under the the care of watchmen. And then verse 2 describes the life 
of the citizens who live in those finished homes and in that protected city. But the passage is not merely describing the building of a home with cement and lumber and bricks. It's describing the building up and the care for the the Christian character of the home and the family. That's evident when throughout the Old Testament we consider that phrase of building the home. And there are many instances in the Old Testament where that idea conveys not the construction of a physical house, but the care for the Christian character of our homes and our families. One example of that is in Deuteronomy 25. That Old Testament law is addressing a situation where a husband dies without having any children born from him and his wife. And the Old Testament law stipulates that one of his brothers then had to marry that man's wife to bring forth a family with her. And the law stipulated that there were consequences, there was judgment for the one that failed in that responsibility as a brother with respect to the brother who has died. And verse 9 of Deuteronomy 25 says, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And clearly the idea there is not that this brother had to construct a building in which his brother's family could live, but the building of the home, the the family and the life that was lived there. And then a second example, Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, through wisdom is in house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The book of Proverbs there is not telling us how to construct a house and how to decorate it in a a nice way. It's talking spiritually about the care and the protection of our Christian homes. The fact that the focus of the text is on the home and the family and the life that we live together is evident as well from the context. The rest of Psalm 127 shows that as it talks about a man and his wife and the children that God is pleased to give them. goes on in the following psalm that's really a companion to this to describe the man who's blessed, the man with his wife and the mother and the children that God gives them around the table so that the context indicates that's what our text is addressing as well. What is this home, then, that we're called to be busy in building? There's a world of difference between a house and a home. A person can have an enormous, multi-million dollar house, and that house not be a home. And you can have a person that lives in a humble little shack. And that humble house is a home. Because what makes a home is the life that's lived there. Not the nature of the, the structure itself. When we think about a home, we usually think of 
a believing husband and wife and the children that God gives to them. It's not the only kind of home that there is. You can have a single person that makes their house a home. You can have a believing couple to whom God does not give any children whose house is a home. Or a widow, or a widower, or older parents whose children and grandchildren are all moved out of the house. Or one who's been sinfully abandoned by a spouse. That their house is also a home. But ordinarily, when we think of a home, we think of a believing couple and the children that God gives to them as they dwell together there. And what makes a home a home It's not just the fact that you have all these family members living together under the same roof, but it's the nature of the fellowship and the love that they have for one another. You can have a husband and a wife and children that are all together under the same roof, but the life they live is one of bitterness and hatred and fighting one with another, and their home really isn't a home, not really what it should be. The nature of the home that we want to build is a life together as a family of believers where we dwell together in communion. The Word of God in Proverbs 15, verse 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs, uh, a humble, uh, basic meal, where love is, than a stalled ox killing the fatted calf and hatred therewith. What is it that makes it a home? It's not the wealth that's enjoyed there or any other earthly factor. It's the fact that there's love there. A home that's truly Christian is a home where husband and wife and the children that God gives to them Dwell together in sweet friendship. There's evident love one for another. True, biblical love. So that there's a laying down of one's life for the sake of the other members of the home and the family. There's trust amongst the members. There's openness. There's vulnerability among them because they dwell together in such a way. There's peace. There's joy. There's real happiness characterizes the life that we live together there. But still, we've not yet touched on what's at the heart of a Christian home and family. There are family members there. They dwell together in peace and love. But really what's at the heart of a Christian home and family is the fact that there we enjoy communion and fellowship with God. You can have men and women of this world unbelieving who marry, who stick together in that marriage for all of their life, who seem to get along with their children. Outwardly, it seems like their their home is one of peace. But that's not yet the home that we're interested in living in and building up this, this outwardly moral home. What makes our homes truly a Christian home is not only the warm fellowship and the love that we have for one another 
there in the house, but it's the communion that we have with God. Notice from the text that the name of God that's used here is Lord, in all capitals, Jehovah. Jehovah God is the I am that I am. And with that name, we usually associate the truth of His covenant, His faithfulness to us. As God is unchanging in Himself, so is He faithful in His covenant love for His own in Christ. He establishes with us and our seed after us His covenant of friendship and communion so that we know Him as Father and as Friend. And in the Christian home, that's what's at the heart and the center. You have this gathering together of believers with whom God has established His covenant so that the life we live is first and foremost life with God. We live in the home in the fear of God is standing before His face. The nature of the home is such that it's worship of God. Our Father and our friend. We know His love for us. And what permeates throughout the home is the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of God's love for us and our response of love for God. And it's this at the heart that makes a home a home, a truly Christian home. It's that kind of home that we're called by the Word of God to be busy in building up. How do you build such a Christian home and family? As with the building of a physical house, What's first and so important is to have the foundation right. If you don't have the foundation right, whatever you try and construct on the top of that is not going to stand. The foundation has to be solid. Everything has to be squared up with that foundation. And then the house that's constructed on the top of it stands. The foundation of the Christian home is the rock, Jesus Christ. You recall what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, that it's the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And then when the storms of life come, with there being no solid foundation, the whole thing falls apart and collapses. It's the wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And then when all the storms of life blow, and they do, That house, standing on the rock, remains firm. And the rock, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we try and build our homes on anything else but Jesus Christ and the truth of the Gospel, then we're building them on some sinking sand. The foundation... Is the gospel, is the truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and Him crucified and risen. There's a danger for us in the practical day-to-day life of our homes 
to acknowledge Christ has to be the foundation and the rock. And yet in practice, we build our homes upon the law. So that what predominates in our life together with our children is law and rules and the constant pointing out of sins and faults and the attempted correction of the outward behavior of our children so that they know how to behave in polite society and they have their outward act all all together. There's a danger that that become the focus and the concern of our home so that the the outward appears very good. And that's not to say there's not a place for rules and for discipline and for pointing out of sin, but that cannot be the bedrock foundation on which we build our homes. To build our homes on, on the law and outward appearances, to build them on sinking sand, the foundation must be Jesus Christ so that our homes are are permeated with talk of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ and His cross governs the way in which we live one with another, that when we discipline our children, it's not only about sin and about outward behavior, but it's pointing them to Jesus Christ, to His cross, And the blood that covers the sins of us and our children. There's not a Christian home apart from Jesus Christ and His work. That is the foundation. And as we continue to care for our homes and our families, we constantly have to be bringing them back to this foundation and making sure that the whole structure that we're trying to put together is squared with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that as the foundation then, the life that we live together in the home is structured by the gospel. It's structured by the truth of God's covenant of friendship with us. In that home, you have a husband who sacrificially loves his wife because his eye is always on Jesus Christ who gave himself for his bride, the church. And in that home, you have a a wife that gladly submits to the authority of her loving husband because she has her eye on Christ and the church, the truth of the gospel. In that home, you have parents that receive with thanks the children that God gives to them and seek diligently to rear and instruct them, pointing them by their life and example to the Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. And you have children in that home that, by the grace of God, do strive to honor and submit to their parents with their eye on their Heavenly Father. And then there are, of course, all of the other means that God gives by which our homes are built up. Devoted time together in the Word of God and prayer. Instruction that's given in the home and church and the Christian school. Loving discipline that's administered. Life together in the Church of Jesus Christ and the 
regular worship of God and fellowship with other believers. It's hard work. To build a Christian home is a tremendous amount of work. Think about all that goes into the building of a physical home. There's so many elements to keep in mind to make sure that the, the home is as it should be. Even more so, building of a Christian home. It's not the main point of God's Word here. We'll see in just a moment that the main point is that God builds the home. But that doesn't mean that we we sit back idly and have no interest and no concern and there's no effort put forth in the care of our homes and families. The Word of God here doesn't say to the builder of the home, because Jehovah builds the house, sit back and don't build it all. And the word to the watchman is not because God keeps the city. Well, don't watch anymore. God is pleased to build up our homes and ordinarily through the the faithful, conscientious labors of believing parents. There's work to be done with respect to our marriages, our homes, our families. Because of how important that is it is something that requires of us our our very best. The best of our time, rather than the scraps and the leftovers that we have. The best of our energy, our devotion, our concern and interest and prayers. (laughs) Calling to us with respect to our homes is this. Do not be weary in well-doing. Be busy and faithful in the care Building up Christian marriages, homes, and families. But again, even though that's there and understood in the Word of God before us, that's not the main point of this Word of God. The main point of the Word of God to us this morning is this. Jehovah builds the house. Jehovah is the one who builds a Christian marriage and a Christian home and family. That's emphasized by the repetition three times in the text of the word vain. And the word vain in the text literally means what's empty and indicates something then that's foolish, something that's unprofitable, that, that doesn't bear any fruit. First of all, verse 1 of Psalm 127 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, in emptiness, that build it. You can have a person that's constructing a home and pouring all of their time and energy and ingenuity into building that. And if Jehovah does not build that house, it is It's vain, it's empty, it's fruitless. There's no fruit and profit upon that. Secondly, the end of verse 1, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You can have a watchman that takes his responsibility 
more seriously than any other. He's up all night. He's vigilant to keep an eye out for any enemies that are going to attack the city or any fire that may start among the homes and threaten them. But all of his vigilance and all of his care comes to naught if it's not God who keeps watch over the city. It's vain. It's empty. It's fruitless. And then third, verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. The word translated there as rise up early literally refers to putting a burden on a beast. And the idea is that of a traveler who's got his goods that he's bringing to some market somewhere and he's stopped for the night and he's taken all the burdens off of the back of his camels, for example. And now the the sun is just beginning to rise. It's early in the morning. He loads those beasts up again with their burdens. And the idea is that of one who's working all day long try and provide for his needs. He's up early. He loads himself with all of the burdens of the day. He's then burning the midnight oil late into the night, only to fall asleep for a few hours to to do it all over again the next day. And then throughout the day, the passage says he's eating the bread of, of sorrows. And the idea there is the bread of worry. He's worried that he has to to do enough to make it and to succeed. And that's why he's up so early putting these burdens upon himself. And that's why he's still up late at night burning the midnight oil because his whole day is one of of trouble and care and of worry that he's got to do enough to, to have enough. And the Word of God says it's all vain if God is the one who is not Building the house and keeping the city, all of his energy and all of his care and all of his worry, it's empty, it's foolish, it's without profit. We do not have a home unless God builds that home. The truth is not surprising, it's not profound, it's a basic truth that governs really ask every aspect of the Christian life. We know it's our calling to go to work every day, to work hard. But at the end of the day, we acknowledge God is the one who gave to us our daily bread. And that's the fundamental truth with respect to our salvation. We know we have a calling as the redeemed children of God to to live for Him, to resist sin and temptation, and to live in obedience to God and His Word. But in the end, the child of God confesses, it's God who works in me to will and to do. So that in all of my life, in all of my salvation, I acknowledge my total dependence upon God and that it's of Him and of His grace. And the same thing holds true here with respect to our home and family. Are we called to be busy and conscientious with respect to our homes and families? Absolutely. In the end, the child of God says, Jehovah builds this house. 
It's Jehovah God who works in the hearts and in the lives of two individuals, giving them the gift of faith, causing them to know salvation in Jesus Christ. It's God who by His own hand who takes this and this and brings the two of them together in marriage so that two are one by the working of Jehovah God. And it's Jehovah God who in that marriage of those two believers gives the gift of children. This isn't a matter of of biology. It's God's gift to that home and to that family as any believing couple without any children will know and readily confess it's God's to give. It's God who works in the hearts of the children of that home. It's God who gives to them spiritual life, uniting them to Jesus Christ. It's God who who savingly calls them. It's God who works in them faith in Jesus Christ. And it's God who gives grace to all in the home who know life with Him in Jesus Christ to live together in the home as they ought. In love and confessing sin, and forgiving one another, and striving to walk in humility with each other. Our homes are built by Jehovah God. That basic, fundamental truth with respect to our homes is so important for us to have in mind. Because it's that truth that delivers us from any pride that we may have in the building of our homes. There's a temptation for us to go about that work in dependence upon self. So that though we maybe never would acknowledge it, that we are trusting in ourselves, and we know enough to say that we are dependent upon God, but we go about our day from early in the morning to late at night without a thought of God, without a a time of prayer in which we pray to God for His blessing and strength. And in reality, we're going about this work as if it depends solely upon me and my strength and my wisdom. There's a temptation of pride when we look at the outcome of our homes and families. And we see what we consider to be a a measure of success. God has given children and they've grown up and they've married other believers and they have children and everything seems well in our family. And pride to say, look what we've done. And then in pride to look at others whose home and family to us seems like it's not all together and say, done a little bit of a better job than than these others whose homes and families aren't, aren't really what they should be. There's no room for pride anywhere in the Christian life. And that holds true with respect to our marriages and our families as well. We labor in humble humble dependence upon the only one who can build our homes. And this truth that God is the one who builds our homes is important because it not only delivers us from pride, but it frees us from worry 
can have a lot of worries as parents and as grandparents. We want to do it all exactly right. We don't want to make any mistakes. We want to, don't want to do anything that might cause some hard consequence for our children or our grandchildren after us. Perhaps there's a mother who rises early and loads herself with the burdens and the worries of the day and she's up late into the night and all day long she's eating the bread of sorrows, of worries because she feels, I've got to do it all and I've got to be enough and if I don't do this exactly right and if I fail in that respect and make one mistake then, then the whole family's going to fall apart. We might understand that But in the end, what that's exposing is the weakness of our faith. Are we called to labor diligently? Absolutely. But not to eat the bread of sorrows as if the whole thing is up to me. And I've got to do absolutely everything right and never make a mistake. And then the the home and family is going to turn out. Then I'm laboring in dependence upon Self. We labor. We're conscientious. We're diligent. In the end, we have to learn to rest in the truth that it's Jehovah God who builds and blesses our homes. And that's the conclusion of the Word of God here. And the last thing that the Word of God teaches us That comes out at the very end of verse 2. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. There have been different interpretations of exactly what that phrase means. Some say you have this idea of one rising early and staying up late and eating the bread of sorrows and worries. And remember, sleep is a good gift from God. And certainly it is. Something that mother with a newborn child can certainly appreciate. Others say in interpreting that verse that it means that while we work all day long, from early in the morning till late at night, it's even while we're sleeping that God is providing for us. We lay our head down at night and the Lord is working and the Lord is providing for us. Though there's slight differences of opinion about exactly what that means. In the end, they they come out to the same exact thing. The Word of God is teaching us here to trust and to rest in our God. When the passage talks about sleep, it's not just talking about sleep itself, though that is a good gift from God. The Word of God speaks often of sleep. In fact, surprisingly often about sleep. And when the Bible is talking about sleep, it's talking about sleep in a very spiritual manner. There's a theology to sleep. Think of all that's conveyed and all that's confessed when we lay our head down on our pillow at night. When we lay our head down at night, we're confessing, God is my protector. 
I'm going to lay here unconscious and undefended for eight hours, flat on my back, without any way to defend myself. I'm committing myself to the care of God who is my protector. When we lay our head down at night, we're confessing, I am not God. I'm not almighty and all-powerful God. He works at all times. He never slumbers or sleeps. He, he, he never is weary and has to lay down his labors. That's not me. I'm not God. I'm not almighty. I need rest. I need a break from sleep, from, from my work. And what the text is expressing here is that when we sleep, we are expressing this basic truth about our homes. It's God who builds them. I work all day. I'm conscientious about my home and family, but I go to bed at night and lay my head down and commit my my family, my marriage, my home, my children to the Lord. It's God who must build and bless this home. Martin Luther put it this way, in a prayer that he made with respect to the church, but application that can be made to the home. Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed, I now need rest, so I lift the burdens of the church off my shoulders and put them on thine. I lift the burdens of this home off my shoulders and put them on thine. I will rest in peace knowing that thou art the keeper of the church, the keeper of the home. In the morning, I'll get back in the harness again. When the text is speaking about God's gift of sleep, it's conveying that attitude of restful trust and dependence upon God. This is the manner in which we're to build our Christian homes. In wholehearted faith and trust and dependence upon the builder of the home. One of the ways that's expressed practically is by the time that we spend in prayer to God to build and to bless our homes. So that when we rise at the crack of dawn to take on the burdens of the day, and through the midst of the day, and at the end of the the long day, and even in the middle of the night, if we're up with our children, we're praying. Jehovah God, build this home. Bless this home. Bless this marriage that's at the heart of the the home. Bless these children that thou hast given into the home and work in them as only thou canst. And as grandparents, Heavenly Father, bless those grandchildren and work in their hearts. Because our homes will not be built apart from thy building of them and thy blessing upon them. This is how we build the Christian home. By resting, trusting, depending in faith upon our God and our Father. And that's that same faith whereby we rest and trust in God that we also know and have confidence 
that God will build our homes. He'll build them as he sees fit to do so, certainly. When we look at our homes, our families, our marriages, and in honesty evaluate ourselves, the only conclusion that we can come to is that if this depends upon me, it's all going to fall apart. What parent, what grandparent hasn't said that as they've looked back on the rearing of their children and said, look at all of the failures, look at all of the flaws, all the things that I do way differently now, If God didn't build this house, it would all be in vain. The encouragement that we have and that we know by faith is Jehovah builds the house. His covenant and His covenant promises are such that He is our God and the God of our seed after us. And that according to His will and in His way, He will build our homes. He will bless. He will work in the hearts of the generations after us, our children and our grandchildren, so that they know Him and they know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that homes will be established where God is glorified and Christ and His cross are exalted. That's encouragement for us to to keep going in the callings that God gives to us. Trusting in Jehovah that He's the one who builds the house and leaving the, the fruit to Him who's pleased to work according to His covenant promises. Because Jehovah builds the house. Be faithful and diligent. The building up and the protection of your home, your family, your marriage. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we need thee. We need thee every hour and every moment. We need thee for all things. Certainly need Thee to deliver us from sin, forgive us, give to us life with Thee in a home in heaven. For all of our salvation, we are dependent upon Thee. And we need Thee for our marriages, our homes, our families. We labor, but we do that in vain, apart from Thy blessing. And so, Father, in faith, we cry out to Thee. Build our homes and bless our marriages and our families, our children, and our children's children after us. Forgive us of our many failures and sins. Overrule our weaknesses and shortcomings. Crown our weak efforts with Thy blessing. And may they serve for good in our homes and families, and more broadly in the life of the family of Jesus Christ here in the church. Hear us in mercy for Christ's sake. Amen.